This is the UU Perspective with your host, Sharon Merrill. Welcome to episode number four of the UU Perspective, where we provide weekly interviews with today's most inspiring Unitarian Universalists. Again, I'm Sharon Merrill, and I'm from Cleveland, Ohio, and a member of the Unitarian Universalist Society of Cleveland. This show is going to focus on UU sharing their involvement in the community and the impact that they are making through their passion to make a difference. You'll hear what they've discovered in their journey, what they've done and how they've made a difference, and the impact they hope to see for the future. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the conversations from your fellow UUs around the world. Today you're going to hear from Casey Slack, who is a second-year seminarian at Stark King School for the Ministry, and she is a member of the UU Society of Cleveland, where she's originally from and has a uh, BA in political science and has spent several years working as a patient advocate in an abortion clinic before heading off to seminary. She is also the student minister for religious education at the Unitarian Universalist Church in Livermore, California. Today, you're going to hear about her experiences being in seminary school and also her travels as she goes to her church uh, where she is the minister for religious education and the people that she meets along the way. And it's really about her encounters with the homeless and what she has done for them and kind of how she has stood for them. So let's get on with it. And here's Casey. Okay, you use, let's get started. I am simply thrilled to introduce my guest today, Casey Slack. And I have already given you some information and an overview about Casey already. So, but let's have uh, Casey just take a minute and tell us about yourself and about the role you play inside of the UU community and kind of what's been going on with you. Okay, well, I am halfway done with my Master's in Divinity at Star King School for the Ministry in Berkeley, California, which is where I live these days. I am a member of the Unitarian Universalist Society of Cleveland, and I work as the Director of Religious Education, fancy title Student Minister for Religious Education, at Unitarian Universalist Church in Livermore. There's also a third church that I go to when I go to church. It's complicated. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. Keeps you busy, though, right? (laughs) Certainly does. It certainly does. (laughs) Well, and we, we of course, share the fact that we both are members of the UU Society of Cleveland Mm -hmm. and, of course, um, miss you being not being here at this time, but love the visits when you do get here. And, you know, how has it been being at Star King? (laughs) That's a big question. It's been a lot of ways. I'm really glad that I made this choice. I'm very glad to be here uh, and to be studying this and on this path with these people at this time. You know, I could have stayed in Cleveland, and I think about that sometimes. I think, you know, I could have just stayed at home and kept my job and done this part-time distance. But I realized that the, the experience wouldn't have been the same, and it would have been something else, and it would have been beautiful that way, too. But there's something that's 
been really powerful for me about both kind of the opportunity to introduce myself to a whole new world and to have a whole different kind of experience. Berkeley and Cleveland are not the same place. Very different cities. I would think. (laughs) Very different cities. And um, I can't say that I'm angry about the weather. (laughs) Oh, yeah, fine, thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But I, you know, I'm so glad to get to be in community with my classmates and to be really here. You know, and we just got done, I just got done with two weeks of intensive courses during which some of our distance students were here. And to have them here is really great also, but also to hear them talk about, you know, the particular difficulties of going to school from a distance makes me even more glad to be here and in this community, whatever its complications are on, you know, a day-to-day basis. So people can just do this online too, is that what you're saying? And then they come join you guys? Yeah, so Star King has kind of a, a mixed residency sort of thing. So some of us are high residency, some of us are here. Some of us are low residency and take classes that are online or that are these hybrid classes where basically you Skype in to the class. I don't think we use Skype anymore, but uh, the experience of it for me is that sometimes my classmates are projected onto the wall instead of physically there. And that's it's really nice to get to do things in all those different different modalities, but the folks who are at a distance have to... There's a certain requirement for hours they have to spend at the school. So often they will show up in August and January when we have our intensive courses to get that residency requirement filled. How is that different, having them there with you? Uh, you know, it's, it's great to have them around. It's so different because especially if you're not in any online courses, and I don't do well <laughs> in that mode of learning, so I'm never in any online courses. There, there are people who you don't even know. <laughs> Suddenly they're here and you're like, oh my gosh, I love you. Why aren't you here all the time? But at least get that time to make the, the connection and to have you know, some, some kind of like celebration of that you're together. Yeah, and having that one-on-one interaction with them too, right? Yeah, yeah totally. It, it really strengthens the, the community feeling to have them there. And I think gives those of us who are here all the time, a little perspective on that it isn't just us <laughs> and whatever's happening in our little world, right? That Star King is something much bigger than just those of us who are actively present on any given day. Right, right. Well, I go back. You were saying that, um, you know, it, you had decided that you really wanted to get immersed and, and not do this part-time. And what had you make that decision? What was the turning point? Uh, well, when I was applying for seminaries, I, all of the programs that I applied for were residential because I just, I wanted to do something different at that time. Uh, you know, I'm a lifelong Northeast Ohio girl. I had been in Cleveland for eight years at the time when I left. So it felt like it was time to do something different. And that was one of the things. Um, but the other thing was that the Star King in particular I really wanted to be able to totally throw myself into what I was doing. I wanted to be immersed in Unitarian Universalist ministry, which was really important to me in part because I hadn't been a UU for very long when I decided to go to seminary. How long had it been? Oh, geez. Three years? (laughs) I think three years when I went. 
and two years when I decided. So I started applying to seminary about two years after I joined our congregation, which is the first church I've ever been a member of. Oh, wonderful. Well, what what would you say who impacted you the most in just your journey inside of that and within the three years? Oh, wow. Uh, I mean, probably, probably Amy Collins. Um, she's the one who asked me if I wanted to be on the worship team, and that was a really major kind of turning point for me in thinking that leading worship and being involved in community in that way was something that I could do. And it was, but it was, it was a, it was kind of everybody, right? You know, Amy gave me opportunities and the community at Summer Institute gave me opportunities and some encouragement. The The decision actually happened. Uh, Colin Bosson, who was our minister at the time, and I had dinner and I was actually in the process of applying for a master's in sociology at Cleveland State. And I was asking him to write me a recommendation letter. And he had just announced that he was going to be going to Harvard. And he was like, can we, can we have dinner and talk about your future? And it had been, you know, I'd been on the worship team for about a year. And I'd been working at preterm for about a year and a half. Preterm is the abortion clinic where I used to work. And I was doing this kind of combination of creating space on a personal level at work and creating space on a a personal but bigger level at church and starting to try to figure out, you know, what is it that I'm going to do? And we sat down and he said, so it sounds like you want to read, you want to think about things, you want to talk about things, but more than anything, you want to make community and you really want to do something with all the stuff you think about. And I said, yeah, yes, that's true. And he said, have you ever thought of being a minister? And you said, (laughs) well, I said, yes, I had, I had thought about it a few times. Um, And actually the previous weekend I had been at my best friend's house and I had said, oh, you know, Colin wants to have dinner and, you know, we're going to talk about my future. And she said, do you think maybe you're supposed to be a minister? And I was like, no, that's for other people. That's that's ridiculous. That's, that's for other people. And, um, you know, Colin, I said, yes, I have thought about it, but I don't know what it would really be like. And he told me a bit about what his experience had been like. And he said, so do you think you want to do that? And I said, yeah. And it was really weird because I, I knew I had been so resistant to that. That might be something that could be for me. And just suddenly was, yes, this. And I actually spent, I think, a full week after I made that decision, uh, every time I told someone, and I told everyone, I told everyone I could find, and every time I told someone, I laughed. Um, it would go something like this. Hey, guess what? I, like, I decided what I'm going to do with my life. Oh, I'm going to be a minister? <laughs> because it, it just seemed, it just seemed impossible. So each time you said it to somebody, it just made it more and more real for you each yeah. time, right? Yeah. And uh, when I, you know, when I finally submitted, you know, my first applications, it finally was like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm doing this. Um, and then getting here was just such a such a whirlwind of really stepping into, you know, I'd been dreaming about this thing for a year and it was the thing that had felt the most right of, of any life plans I'd ever had. And suddenly I was here and you know, right off the bat, uh, Michelle Favreau, who is our kind of liturgy professor, had asked me to help participate, you know, to participate in leading 
the one of the opening rituals at our symposium in the summer. And I was like, I just got here. What? And so a lot of my experience with Star King really has been, you know, I have this call and here I, I get to answer it and I get opportunities and people, other people see it too. And that was true in Cleveland. I got so much support from the church and I got so much support from my coworkers. But here it's just like, oh, right, this is what I'm doing. This is the, the thing. Uh, that's a little vague, but I think you get my point. Right, right, right. And so in, in inside of that, then how is it being involved in RE at the, the church you're at right now? That's really, really great. And I, this is not, my life is a series of things I didn't expect, basically. Um, I didn't really expect to get into religious education work. Um, I had volunteered a little bit in RE at the society, but not much. <laughs> and I came out here and the first, last year I worked as the youth advisor for a church in Redwood City. And I had been doing that, um, but the church didn't have enough money to continue, you know, paying someone to do that. And I got an email from someone I had been in a class with, like, two weeks after I found out that I wouldn't be continuing that job into this year. And he is the minister at the church in Livermore. And he said, do you know anyone who might want to, you know, to be our DRE? And I was like, I might want to do that. <laughs> he was like, oh, oh good. that's what I was hoping for. Uh-huh. So, uh, so I applied and I didn't really expect to get the job. I assumed that somebody who had you know, more of a background would be there and ready. But I got the job and it's been been such an amazing experience of getting to really participate in creating community in a congregation, um, of getting to really shape what something looks like. And that's really, uh, it's amazing for me. And I love, I love my kids and they're so, they're so funny and smart and ridiculous and so authentic. And that is my favorite thing about UU Kids is that they're who they are without any kind of fear that who they are is not okay. And that's, you know, if I can create a community where children get to be them really fully, then I want to do that. <laughs> and and they just suck it all in, too. They really do. They're, they're little sponges. Yeah. So, What do, what do you think is the biggest impact that you've had with them? We did. So we do a monthly children's chapel where I lead a little worship service for kindergarten through eighth grade. And in October, when uh, Ferguson October was happening and lots of activists were in Ferguson, knowing that I couldn't be there and thinking, okay, I got to do something. Uh, The kids and I had a whole service about discrimination and about, you know, how we stand up for our friends and our loved ones who aren't necessarily in our community, but who matter to us when something bad happens. And at the end of that, we made cards. Um, And I was just going to make one card and I was going to, you know, write a nice letter and send it. But they said, well, you know, if I, if my big brother died and my, and we were all really sad, I think I would want more cards. So we sent, uh, a letter on the official letterhead that I had written and about 10 cards that each of the kids had made to Michael Brown's parents. Wow. And (laughs) 
what an impact. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't think I'm ever going to forget writing that letter and looking at those cards that the kids had made and just crying. Delkin. Oh my gosh. So it was so powerful. Yes. Wow. And, and what a thing for those kids to be able to learn so early to just think beyond themselves and to be able to reach out to somebody. Yeah. That'll stick with them, you know, forever. Yeah. That's probably the most powerful moment we've had so far, but I try to make, you know, everything we do in RE build towards that idea of a, of a global community of, you know, we have this little community that we live in every day or every week. And then we have bigger and bigger communities, but the whole planet is a community together and we're all responsible for each other. So that's what I try to communicate to varying degrees of the, you know, <laughs> it works to varying degrees. Uh, yeah. And that's kind of the impact too, that, that I'd like to have this podcast be is, is it reaching out to the world like that and, and how we all can be together and work together and find ways to help each other no matter what part of the world we're in. Absolutely. Yeah. There are all, always opportunities. Definitely. So tell us about, um, you have interesting travels when you need to go to the church, right? Yes. So tell us a little bit about that as you go to Livermore. So when I go to Livermore, I, um, I don't have a car, but I have a membership to something called City Car Share that lets me have a, a car for the time that it takes to get there. And I pick up the car and I, you know, I drive there and that part's not particularly interesting. But what's interesting is, is all of my travels, you know, on the bus and getting to and from my hat, like the car, is really the interesting part of the day. And one of the things that I notice between, you know, when I'm in Cleveland and when I'm driving and when I'm here and I'm walking it, and when I'm riding the bus is the degree to which I notice the other people around me. And what are you saying? So when I lived in Cleveland and I don't, when I lived in Cleveland, I had no real sense of homelessness. And I don't know if it's a difference between Cleveland and the Bay or a difference between walking and driving. Um, but since I've been here, I'm, I'm much more aware of the number of people who are housing insecure, who are always in the same place, you know, on the same bit of sidewalk. And when I first got here, that was really hard for me to handle. I didn't know what to do with it. Downtown Berkeley in particular, there's a kind of a strip where there are always folks sitting, you know, either, either, you know, just hanging out, like that's just, that's where they live, or kind of in the, in the pursuit of some kind of money to be able to maybe afford the shelter or maybe afford some lunch. And it's all over the place. It's, you know, it's in the city the city meaning San Francisco, it's in Oakland, it's in Berkeley, and actually uh, it's in Livermore too. And it's easy to think that, oh, that's a you know big city thing. Livermore is not a big city. Livermore is a suburb. Um, but one of the things that the church is actually working on is uh, a law got passed in Livermore that basically makes it illegal to be homeless there. If you happen to be caught not having a house, <laughs> you go to jail. 
which jeez yeah. <laughs> yes that, that that really solves the problem definitely that's <laughs> uh, super effective yeah, yeah right yeah so that's um one of the other things that i've done with the kids is that we've been working on making uh what we call blessing bags which are just bags with uh, some snacks and maybe you know soap uh a sweater kind of whatever might be useful to someone who doesn't have a permanent home. Uh, so nothing too bulky, nothing hard to carry around, but something that'll kind of get you through for a little while at least. What What was your first, um, kind of that first feeling as you walked by and, and saw these people? Because eventually you started to interact with them. Yeah. And, and what was the change too? I, you know... At first, I didn't know, I didn't know what to do with it. And I was kind of scared, but not scared of them, just scared of that reality, right? It was just kind of hit in the face with, this is a real thing, in a way that I, I don't think I had known about it before I moved out here. And I spent a while, you know, I would walk by and I would smile. And maybe if I had some change, I would give them change. But I just... Just like, I don't know, I don't know what to do. And I I can't really remember what happened, but there's a, a man who I see pretty often uh, because he hangs out between where I get the car and where my bus stop is. Um, his name is Charles. They call him Blue Boy. <laughs> and I saw him, I saw him every week, you know, just on my way, on my way home. And this was even when I was working in Redwood City, I, I had the same basic routine. And eventually I stopped being able to be someone who saw him all the time and didn't say anything. So it was, it was really hot out and I stopped at the gas station and I bought each of us an ice cream and I went and I sat down with him and we had an ice cream and talk. <laughs> what was his reaction? He was, he was a little confused. Um, and it was also, you know, it was a Sunday and I had been at work. So I was in kind of a, like a nicer dress and I just sat down. Just, okay, and I think he was a little scared at first, which is fair. Uh, I imagine he's had lots of experiences with people who he should be afraid of. Oh, I'm sure, yeah. You know, we, we talked, and we ate our ice cream, and I uh, eventually he asked if I would pray with him, and I did. It was really, I, you know, <laughs> I get a little anxious when I'm asked to kind of on-the-spot pray most of the time. Uh-huh. But I didn't. I didn't that time. We just, you know, he and I knelt down on the sidewalk together and held hands. Wow. On the sidewalk, knelt down, yeah. huh? On the sidewalk, just doing the thing. I couldn't, you know, I think about, I think about our, you know, our principles a lot. And I think about them as a covenant and a covenant is something you live into. Right. Right. And I just kept being like the inherent worth and dignity of every person. Okay. <laughs> Got to do the thing. You're right. So that's, you know, and I, I haven't seen him in a while, which makes me nervous. But, but um, when I do see him, you know, he and I sit down and talk and sometimes I bring him an ice cream. You have you, you've had some other in interactions with some others, too, right? Yeah, there. Um, it, it, so, it's you know, if you have a routine, there are people who you see a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I can't I can't bring myself to be someone who sees people a lot and doesn't interact with them. Um, so there is a, a woman, and I don't know her name, but she 
is often outside of the corner store near my house. And one day I had stopped in there to get myself chips and a soda on my way home. And she was out there and she, she was looking for food. And I, I said, do you, you want these chips? I don't need these chips. Do you want these chips? And she's like, oh, sweetie, you just bought those for yourself. And I said, no, I'm good. Do you want the chips? Um, and so she had the chips and I sat down and talked with her for a little while. Um, and she's an older woman and she lives with a, a community of homeless folks who live in People's Park. And she, she invited me to a meal that they were having there. And I didn't go because I don't need to take from them. But I said, well, you know, do you guys need anything? And she said, no, nah, we're, we're good. But the next time I saw her, she said, hey, you know, could you buy me something? I said, yeah, what do you want? Well, I don't know. Okay. I said, well, how about this? I got $10, whatever you want. Go into the convenience store, whatever you want. And she said, do you, do you mean whatever I want? And I said, yeah. It, like, if you are a person in need of a beer right now, that's not my job to tell you no. I understand if that's what you want. But also, they've got bread and they've got peanut butter. And if you want, we can buy bread and peanut butter. And you can take it and share it with your friends. And... She bought the bread and peanut butter um, and a couple bags of chips. And she said they had a they had a nice little meal together next time I saw her. So that's been kind of a an approach that I take. Um, there have been several people where I say, okay, I got $10. What do you want? And I make it clear that they can have whatever they want. If they, I really i am not interested in, in moralizing to them or telling them what they should want. So if you're... You know, if you're living on the streets and your life is hard, maybe you need, really need a beer. Um, maybe you, you know, really want a cigarette. And I, you know, I, I'm in charge. Right. It's that unconditional love that it's not, there's no judgment. Get what you need to get and have just the freedom to have a moment that you can call your own. Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know, I've found that a lot of times when offered you know, hey, you could also do this and go hang out with your friends and share with them. That's what people will do. Uh, sometimes, sometimes, you know, sometimes you just need a beer, though. And I'm not, <laughs> I'm not interested in shaming anyone for that. I just, you know, I've, I've got enough to share, and so I will. <laughs> Has anybody gotten the beer? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Oh wow. <laughs> <laughs> You know, I, I get some looks from the like the people at the usually either the gas station or my corner store um, who are like, are you really going to buy this? Per-? Yeah, I am. That is what they need right now. So that's they're a grown up. <laughs> they can make choices. I'm just helping. Oh, that's neat. Oh, my gosh. So their their reaction is, you know, somewhat of surprise, but yet at the same time being grateful for just what you're offering too. Yeah. That's neat. Wow. Is there any other impact you would like to make with them in some way? Is there anything you can do? You know, um, one of the things that I really, I try to make sure that I, no matter what my routines are looking like, no matter how recently I've seen any of the, the folks who I kind of have a relationship with, there is an organization um, that runs a paper. Uh, it's called Street News. In Berkeley, I think this organization exists in all kinds of cities. Um, so kind of wherever you are, be on the lookout for an organization that sells a paper. And what they do is in the Bay, 
um, there's a group of homeless folks who actually write all of the articles for the paper. And then they print the paper weekly and folks go out and they sell it. And there's no minimum donation to get the newspaper. Um, I usually give, you know, two to five dollars for an issue. And that goes to kind of all of their programming, which is about so much more than just let's have a bed for you. And having a bed is a really big, big and important thing. But a lot of it is about like, let's let's help you have a way to feel like you're part of society, because so often people who are housing insecure don't get to feel like they make any sort of meaningful contribution to society. And I, um, one of my favorite things was I, I bought a paper once and the person I bought the paper from had written one of the articles and we were chatting and he was just so excited to show me this thing that he had written and it was really good. Um, cool. And I was really, you know, and so I always, I buy that every week and sometimes a couple times a week because it's a really easy kind of low impact way to do something that feels like it actually matters. That's cool because we do have that here and I see them selling the papers like at the West Side Market, yeah. you know, on Saturdays. And I actually did not realize what it did. So to know that it provides ways to um, provide programs for them. I mean, what other types of programs do they? Um, I don't actually know. I just know that everyone I've talked to who is housing insecure, who has been involved in their programs, feels really good about what they've gotten to do. Well, that's cool. All right. Yeah, that's that's really good to know. I mean, <laughs> that certainly makes me want to go ahead and, and give them some, <laughs> a few bucks now. But at first, I was just, I was always suspicious, like, I don't get this. What's this right, for? Right. But well, this that's is... The, you know, one of the things is you never know, like, what the selling is. Um, but with the, the newspaper organizations, uh, it sounds like a really good, a really good program to help people get to feel like productive and functional members of their community. And I like, I quibble with the idea of, you know, some people are productive and some people are functional and some people aren't, but that's the framework we live in and anything that makes people feel better because they deserve to feel good and valued. Everybody does. That is cool. Yes, definitely. That's great. Well, that that's just fascinating. I'm, I'm glad you got to share that with us and everything. Yeah. And so uh, the way I'd like to conclude this, I have, um, I have a question for you. But first, I want to ask you to give us a quote that re represents the philosophy you carry in life or just a, a quote from someone who it just is special to you. Yeah. So I actually keep a whole document full of quotes that are meaningful to me. But there's one that I go back to over and over again. It's from a book by John Green that's called Paper Towns. And it says, it is easy to forget how full the world is of people, full to bursting, and each of them imaginable and consistently misimagined. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. And what is that? What's that for you? For me, um... You know, this this idea of people being misimagined is is really central to 
resisting resisting othering and to remembering that everybody's got this complex story and you don't know how anybody got anywhere and kind of that, you know, that there is detail that you don't know unless you'll take a minute to sit down and interact with someone as a person. Mm-hmm. It's the way we, we like make up what's going on when we really don't know until we sit and actually talk with that person and step into their shoes for just a moment. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Amazing. That's great. I like that one. Now, the last question I, I have for you, and it's something we ask all the guests, mm-hmm. and it is, how is Unitarian Universalism as a religious denomination uniquely positioned to serve and impact society? Oh, all kinds of ways. You know, I think a lot about something that Meg Riley said at Summer Institute several years ago, um, that the the good news of Unitarian Universalism is that you're okay. Yeah. <laughs> yep, that sums it up. I like that. <laughs> I, think, I think that might be the whole answer. I could say more, but we have good news, and we just need to remember that we have, we have really good news, and it's that you're okay, and we love you. Yeah, that's simple. I like it. We're all okay. Yeah. We'll just we'll just stop right there. <laughs> All right, Casey, thank you so much. You I appreciate help. you taking your time, taking the time out to do this. And um, if uh, anybody wants to contact you, how can they do that? So, um, yeah, I have I have a blog which is unexpecteddivinity.wordpress.com. I can be found on Twitter at KC Slack. And I can be reached by email at kcslack at ses.sksm.edu. All right. And we'll certainly have all those, uh, those links in the show notes, too. And um, again, thanks so much for being with us. Thank you. Take care. The UU Perspective podcast is supported by all those listeners from the U.S. to Canada and down to Mexico. Thanks for listening. I really appreciate it. We've had over 100 downloads in the last three episodes, which I'm thrilled about. If you would, please leave a review at iTunes. It helps to get the rankings of the podcast up there. Let's make it the number one UU podcast around. And also you can find us on Stitcher Radio. And if you go to the uuperspective.com website, you will find all of the show notes along with the links of what our guests have spoken of. And you can get either in contact with them or get hooked up with their areas of interest and find out more information. So again, thanks for listening and please join us next time on the UU Perspective Podcast. Hey, are you still there? I thought I'd take a second and just uh, give you a few little fun facts about myself. I know you're getting to know all these other people in these interviews, but you know nothing about me. So, fun fact number one, I own a music store. I repair musical instruments along with teaching mainly the woodwinds. My main instrument's the flute. 
And I also play in a group called The Eclectics, which includes my wonderful wife, Amy, who is a vocalist, and also our fabulous pianist, Karen Tooley. So there you have it. Okay, 